0: Hey, everyone, welcome to this episode of the 10K Media Podcast. Today I have with me Elias Grohl, who is the CEO and co-founder of a new company that's getting a lot of hype called Codesphere. Elias, thanks for uh, taking the time to to join this
1: podcast. Thank you, Adam. Hi.
0: So you're based now in in, uh, Southern Germany. Is is the whole team there or is it distributed?
1: Uh, It's very distributed, but like half of the companies in Southern Germany, mostly engineering is there it's just good i mean engineers tend to love to work from home but it's just good for the engineering team if they can meet and like talk and get together good stuff yeah of course well i think uh my audience is going to
0: be very interested in 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 hearing about your product so i'm trying to debate whether to just jump right into it but i think most listeners won't be familiar with codesphere yet and it's on purpose it's it's still kind of in this public beta phase, even though it's getting a lot of interest. So I think getting into a little bit of your history is is good, uh, if we can t- touch on that quickly. So you were a, an engineer at, at Google um, and then kind of rolled this out not too long ago. It looks like uh, I don't remember exactly when it launched, but maybe uh, a few months ago it came out a year ago. When, when did CodeSphere launch and what was sort of your journey to it?
1: So we launched our community version, beta version last year, uh, 2020, 2021, in end of March. And um, yeah, my personal story is is, uh, quite, quite funny. I I started coding when I was ten, hacked our school's system when I was fourteen, and then was allowed to study computer science uh, because they called the police and it was like big in the news and everything. Um, And they dropped it again, like they dropped the charges, but I. Since it wasn't the news, the local university allowed me to study computer science while still going to high school, and then I studied computer science until like finishing high school and dropped out of uni also after the fourth semester. Like in Germany, we have six semesters until you finish the bachelor, and joined Google in Zurich in uh, developer experience for YouTube, and then um, yeah, it was a bit in San Francisco also at Google. Um, worked from a co-founded Vectornator. It's a vector graphics designer in Germany. They also have like they're very Apple Apple Apple-ish, but they have they also have like a lot of users. Um I was responsible there for hiring the tech team, doing backends, um, and like yeah, basically founding engineer and CTO kind of position. Joined Google again, um, writing tools for the like internal hacking, privacy, data governance um things. Uh, that was in Munich. And then yeah, while working at Google, we had a we had an internal tool called Cider. It was an IDE that you that was very tightly coupled with what you could do doing with the infrastructure. What was and the tool called was... internally at Google? Yeah, sorry. Ah,
0: uh, what... oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, that's okay. So, what what was the the tool called internally at Google? Cider. Cider. Okay. So this was sort of the inspiration for CodeSphere, you're saying? Yes. yes. Okay, so what Cider. what? So I want to pause for a second because we're not just going to skim over you hacking your school when you're 10. We need to get into this. So, (laughs) uh, or when you were 14, you started coding with your 10 and the hack happened when you were 14. Is that what you said? Yeah. It's like 14, 15. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny because I, so, so did you say that because you did that and it was in the news, you actually were able to study at the university, even as a younger person? Yes. Okay. So (laughs) uh uh, this is not an endorsement for kids out there to go hacking your schools but apparently it worked out okay for you um so what 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 were you trying to hack were you trying to change your c grade to an a like what 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 was the uh the
1: impetus for that i wanted to prove to my physics teacher back then that like i'm i'm so good in the hacking stuff and i i used rainbow tables um so like we we had a very weird old system on the school servers and they downloaded the whole like operating system with all the passwords on each machine before it was started and you could simply just like plug in the usb get all the get, get all the uh, the whole operating system on a usb stick bring it home and like decode it and come back and have all the passwords got it actually yeah. not the passwords but like the, the things that have the same hash as the password so you could get in administrator accounts and technically change grades yeah and um yeah definitely showing off to to my physics teacher back then
0: okay but so it was, it was like a, a it cool it was it. flex it was a flex yeah okay yeah. um well okay interesting stuff so so you have like a obviously a a, a background in, and it seems like you know you've mentioned hacking and cybersecurity a, a few times although um Codesphere isn't necessarily in the security space or or is your current company does it touch security or is it much more of
1: a developer tool it's much more of a developer tool um actually i do like building stuff much more than like harming stuff or protecting things i like building much more i, I love building also not just in tech but i love building um like i built the tables in our office myself i built our phone box myself uh i just like this kind of kind of thing um and yeah obviously coding the most i started coding because I wanted to change the characters in Warcraft Three, uh, and wanted to build them myself, and, and so. <laughs> okay, well,
0: I'm, I might have some side jobs I need to hire you for. I got, I got uh, <laughs> some things in my life that need some changing. But um, no, this is this is fun stuff. So the the let's let's before we get too deep into it, you know, the code sphere itself. What's the pitch? What is it
1: trying to solve? Um. Yeah, so in, in very simple, it's development and hosting in one platform. And it it's basically a, a browser based platform that makes it trivial to deploy, um, specifically web apps, and efficient to collaborate in a team and easy to scale globally. So when you say, so typically someone
0: has like, let's say their ID, right, and they're writing code, and then they have to deploy it usually like, well, onto GitHub or whatever. Um, and and everyone loves GitHub, right? Everyone uses GitHub. Actually, I don't know if everybody loves GitHub, but that it's ubiquitous, right? So, so are you avoiding GitHub somehow, or or you're just helping
1: push to GitHub? No, we we integrate with it. We we replace more like your whole development CI/CD pipeline hosting. Mm, stuff. Yeah, we might not need GitHub in a very long term, but short term doesn't make sense to replace it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I like but so. That there, I so, there's, so there's a
0: whole, you know, it sounds it's a good headline, right? Go from staging to production in a few clicks or whatever. The I'm not your marketer person, so I don't know exactly what the what the mm-hmm. taglines are, but but you know, sounds sounds about right. By the way, shout out to John Edgar who who is your uh, marketing person. Uh, we work together at Digital Oceans. Great dude. Um, anyway, but so it sounds snippy, but actually, you know, the process is in place to go from staging to production there there's a lot of steps and and so and a lot of best practices and a lot of you know thought leadership around everything from CI/CD to whatever else and how, how are you just eliminating all of that and saying ah you don't
1: you don't need that just just go to our platform yeah so kind of the sales headline there is you don't need DevOps engineers you can build where your apps run you can build them in the cloud um and this is really what we do we we started doing this because we were inspired and by Cider and internal developer tools at Google were much better than what's out there in the market, but still like there's room for improvement. And especially because Google always deploys for like super big applications. Um, you kind of don't need that, but you can be a lot faster in, with things um, outside of this. So but I think that Google, like
0: a lot of the DevOps SRE mindset does come from Google though, right? Like Google wrote like the SRE handbook and there's all these, so I understand the, the 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 impetus to empower the developer, but are are you really cutting out the need for the kind of more opsy components of of these stuff?
1: Yes, <laughs> simple said yes. Uh, I think obviously not for everything. So you can you can build bigger stuff if you're running on AWS, but Quorius um, scales pretty far and. Um, most, like we did a lot of research there. So we talked to about 400 companies and figured like DevOps in general is a problem for most companies, like except Google, but <laughs> most companies, um, mostly because these engineers are very expensive. And um, yeah, the, the biggest problem, so this is problematic for, um, for like big enterprise and freelancers and basically everyone, but it's really a disaster for startups and SME because they can't really afford these engineers. And if they afford them, they can't afford the time they need to build up a proper system. And what we found is that most startups use either Heroku and they know they can't scale far with it because Heroku is based off AWS. That makes it extremely expensive because they have, have to have margins of AWS. Plus the develop experience of Heroku is not that great. So you can have production environments, but you cannot even look like into the code. Um, like you, you cannot look into the code really. You cannot uh, log into the machines that are running uh, for debugging, it's it's not that good. It's just the last step of your CI pipeline. It kind of magically avoids the pipeline because it generates the Docker build for you, but you cannot like control it and do anything with it. So it's easy to grow out of Heroku. Um, and on the other hand, they use AWS VMs, um, just one of them, probably big, and the whole deployment workflow is just the Docker pull and Docker run, and or Git Git pull and like to start a start Python script again. And this makes them slow currently when they work together in their team. And it doesn't scale for a lot of users. And it doesn't scale for a bigger team because you are, you always have to go in and log in again and you want to see what's currently running. So what Koso gives them is it gives them the whole flow from having any feature branch feature that they develop in GitHub in a deployed state. So you can log into it, you can like see what's running with this particular feature developed, it's optimally hosted. So it shuts off if you don't review or don't code in it. Um, and then you have a very easy way to shut it to production where it's always on and is being monitored. And that's not it. This is like basically the hosting part. But instead of having like a terminal or just a logs window to it, you can log into the running thing with an IDE where you can make comments, you can debug, you can like see what's happening. This yeah. is not meant as your. IDE that should replace your like your local laptop VS Code. It's more of a collaboration tool because you don't always want to check out code um, that you're reviewing. You just like want to go in there, make some changes, make some comments, and like leave it again. And yeah, this is this is pretty much it. And the like long-term vision of the IDE is really what could we do if we're not running stuff on our laptop? Um, what could we do if we could use the whole cluster, the whole information that's available in the cluster? There's a lot to
0: unpack here. Um, the IDE conversation is interesting. I have a client, Rookout, who has a web IDE for debugging, um, and there are some benefits to the web IDE, right? Um, a lot of things you can do in a web IDE that you necessarily maybe can't on your, on your laptop IDE. Um, but at the same time, developers, that's where they spend a lot of time is in, is in their IDE. And so uh, h- how do you convince them basically to go into the web version of uh, of
1: your product and, and use it there? It's just more convenient and faster than like switching the branch locally, copying the code, starting it locally, making it run locally and testing it locally. You have like a sub one second text editor IDE open, um, in which you can Start a debugger and make comments and code together like in Google Docs, which is as I said not really not meant for your day to day coding yet, but it's meant for like efficient collaboration in your team. So when you say hosting,
0: I think I, I want to clarify the hosting component of the process with CodeSphere. So it's not like you're running infrastructure for these folks and 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 keeping their apps up and running like you know. AWS would? You just mean like you're hosting the code for the
1: application or or am I missing something? So we have our own data centers and we do run applications of our users. Um, our users don't have to worry about Kubernetes. They don't have to worry about like the networking, most of the stuff that you need to set up with AWS. They can connect databases and they can use other databases outside of CodeSphere. But um, I mean, the main point here is you don't need Kubernetes, and Kubernetes is actually pretty counterintuitive for you to host apps as a developer. Not as a DevOps person, but as a developer, Kubernetes requires you to select the operating system for the services that you want to run, and then also select like the uh, define the orchestration of your services. And it's just really complex and takes a lot of time and you actually just want to get some code running. So, OK, this, this is really
0: interesting. So I didn't realize CodeSphere had its own data centers. I'm trying to just, I'm, I'm debating whether it's worth getting into that. Like, how do you, in today's day and age, how do you get data
1: centers, you know, like, uh, yeah. Um, so we rent them from different providers and lease servers. That's mainly Equinix, Vexels, uh, Plus Server, and even AWS. So we use AWS for like balancing out and, and things. Um, though with AWS, we have the problem that they have a, lo- a lot of virtualization. So if you... We don't have a cluster that big as aws so we don't intend to over provision that much as AWS. we don't rent service twice or like eight times to our right users. right um, because if you have a small infrastructure that's way more dramatic for stability yeah. you have a small cluster that's all over provisioned you have some bitcoin miners on the platform and everything crashes that's why we have to have our own data centers um, plus aws and like in, in general, like cloud providers, they have a lot of virtualization until you get to the actual hard drive. So let's say you have a file system and you change a file. That's like changing a file in a remote file system that's running in another cluster in a remote file system in a remote file system and, and so on. And when you have your own data center, you can let them write on their metal on the hard drive, which just is a much better, much more like native coding experience. Oh, and it's a margin topic, also. Like, I shouldn't I should say that as well. Like, the we do pay some twenty dollars for what you pay two hundred seventy eight, and on AWS for which you pay two thousand eight hundred on Heroku. Really interesting
0: stuff. So, I imagine if you're an enterprise company, though, right, and your business is on AWS, right, and that, that's an ecosystem that people want to be connected to, and there's so are developers using CodeSphere, or at least in the ideal use case in your mind in the, when, it, when it's more public, um, connected to their core business and enterprises, or is it more for like, you know, hobby projects that, that developers wanna, wanna deploy on the side kind of thing? As,
1: as, as I said before, you get the whole flow for your team. So you don't need anyone to set it up before and you don't need anyone to maintain, like have the maintenance for it. So it's definitely beneficial for any like development team in any kind of corporation. It's much easier to convince startups to use Cozy instead of AWS in the beginning because they are way more desperate and because they, do, they care less about like the um, running on AWS thing. And we found that um, like 42% of startups buy because the developers like the tool and the rest buys because they get the most credits. Uh, and this is how you convince startups. For SME, it becomes a little bit more difficult. We need like all the different SOC to IP uh, ESO 2076 certifications. Um, Plus we need to have a little bit more trust in the market means like bigger customers that we can tell them about. And long-term enterprise is actually easier to convince than, um, than SME, but the sales cycles are pretty long. Plus currently they aim to have it as a platform for like the internal or external development and they want their own services and they want to influence the roadmap too much currently. But I can definitely imagine either being a replacement or addition of like modern cloud providers for enterprise. Um, At least that's the ambition. And if that doesn't work out, it can be kind of the private cloud for them as well.
0: So it seems like part of the value that you're talking about is just an abstraction, right? Like developers don't necessarily care if their app is running on AWS or Kubernetes or like they just want their code to be running and, and working right but in a lot of ways that is the pitch of all of these other components right like serverless is, is and or whatever Kubernetes is like yeah yeah there's we're, we'll just abstract a lot of this from you and and you can deploy and scale really easily and move you know your apps on containers very easily. The problem is once something goes wrong, um, it's, it's complex to, to, to debug and to troubleshoot and that abstraction maybe contributes to the complexity. So with something like Codesphere, um, isn't it the same problem? Like I imagine things will go wrong with Codesphere just like they go wrong with, with other hosting technologies. And uh, what do people do to get under the hood to fix it? Or do they have to just rely on sort of Codesphere customer support to, to, to fix
1: issues? They will have to rely on our customer support um in general CodeSphere is way easier for um for like our users for developers to use compared to kubernetes in kubernetes as said they have to know like orchestration they have to know load balancing they have to decide for different pieces of software that they want to run in a cluster and they have to understand all this infrastructure heavy part um application layer but still very infrastructure heavy even for aws and with CodeSphere, they don't have to worry even about docker they just define how they want to install, build, test, and run their code. And we do that for them automatically. And then if they want to scale it, they just select different regions and different like amounts of replicas. And it's like it's scaled. Of course serverless is even like easier to scale, but serverless in itself is a little bit limited because serverless, just like our development environment, it it shuts off if you don't use it. And that doesn't work for many services. Plus, if you want to build bigger projects, you need to have a lot of functions, you need to have them together. And the more like enterprise your project becomes, um, the less suited serverless is really for backend because it's hard to manage. So this is interesting because, so for you, for Codesphere's
0: business model, reliability has gotta be super, super important, right? Like, because if something, if your service fails on AWS, like theoretically you as the devops engineer even though in your world there is <laughs> there is no more devops engineers but you can go in provision more infrastructure you know you can you can try to figure it out on your own and, and and come to a solution whereas like with codesphere there's no codesphere engineer on the company side uh on the you know the company that's using codesphere to go in and and try to figure it out it's up to codesphere essentially to make sure its own infrastructure that it's providing is is reliable i mean is that is that basically correct, and, and how do you ensure your users that the, the, the apps that they deploy on, on Codesphere
1: will, will remain up and running? So the same as AWS does with their managed services. So they have more and more managed services and they also have SREs for that. Codesphere has SREs and we will have like more and more SREs. We have very strong um, engineers working on this. Um, like not gonna lie, we're still early. So this is going to be better over time. But, uh, for example, our chief architect was one of the creators of Bok internally at Google, and Bok is the follower for Kubernetes. And I'm not sure if I'm saying something I shouldn't, but like the Bok is also not working like Kubernetes is. Kubernetes, as said, gives you the operating system, and you have to do like all the different infrastructure yourself, while Bok, um, which is more scalable and running most of Google services, is um, simply telling you, hey, you want to you deploy that service this way and that's how it wires together and they worry about everything else. You don't have to think about infrastructure.
0: So that's basically
1: what people want to give you as quotes here. So that's basically what people are trying
0: to arrive at, right? Like the whole shift left movement is basically, you know, it's funny because it rhymes with the conversation around like AI where it's like, you know, no, no, it's not going to replace people. It's just going to help them do their jobs better but you seem to be saying, no, we don't think the DevOps engineer is, is a necessary piece
1: of this puzzle, and we're really hyper-focused on developers. Yeah. I mean, DevOps engineers are necessary anyways. Um, first of all, of course, we have to hire them. <laughs> so we hire them so you don't have to. Um, <laughs> but also, you need them for like other tools. Like, It's not just standard compute that you need DevOps engineers for. Standard compute is just always like up to the application layer, pretty much the same. Um, and it's good to have good tools because it takes so much time to have your own like well-working process defined. So if you just get a well-working process like gifted, that's yeah, it's just much better for you as a team and much nicer to work with. Um, but there's not just like standard backend services to deploy. So we will always probably have DevOps engineers and and SRE. They just will focus on different things. Um, and less deploying like, web services. OK, so yeah, so you're, you're focused really on taking the code
0: from the developer to it running in the cloud, let's say. That whole process you think should just be click, boom, it's out there. Should be instant, you shouldn't need a bunch of processes, um, and developers should be able to do it on their own. Exactly.
1: And even even adding, like, ideally, you're building a cloud app, but you're building it on your laptop, you have two different setups, they're like different enough. So even that's wasting time. I can do this myself as a developer, but still I waste a lot of time on that. And if I'm just building in the cloud and have the same environment, it's very easy to just like clone it and call one life and one like development. And that's so basically if you build it in the cloud, you don't have to like make magic CI CD stuff. You just like, click a button and say, Okay, I... this is important to me now, codes here. Well, this is an interesting point
0: because I, you know, I'm not personally a a developer. And so I've always like been interested in like this separation between staging and production, right? And how you go about, and like, even if when you're debugging and you're trying to debug something on local, but it really doesn't look like anything The production actually looks like where the actual problem is and where actual customers are and how do you balance all of this. But I assume the one main value prop of staging is that it's just that it's not live and you have more room for failure and you can experiment, right? And you can really work out some things before you push it. And so do you think that having that separation being very clear is actually good? Because if you're just coding and then you can with a click of a button, push it live at any time uh, very easily, um, you may not go through all of the proper checks and balances that maybe you should before pushing
1: your code to production. You have the exact same checks and balances, except you have only one setup. That's the same on local, that's the same on staging, that's the same on prod. And if you're debugging, you're not debugging on your laptop that like is completely different from your cloud environment. You can already debug in the staging environment or in the feature environments um, where you're developing a feature, even before you bring it into stage uh, into staging. You usually develop a feature and you still want to see it live because you have a manager that wants to do code reviews because you want to see it working before you. Like, dare to bring it in staging because otherwise your team will hate you. And then, <laughs> and then from staging in production. But you have all the things like uh, testing. That's that like testing CI stages. You have all that like optimization stages. You have all that there. Um, it's just you wouldn't like you wouldn't have to do this on your laptop, which is totally different. You can do it already in staging, and you can open an IDE to your staging environment and see what's happening there and debug there. Look at the look at the different stages. Um and sure, like long term this is this is really like exciting as an engineer since we are always like coding on our laptops and we don't like first of all, IDEs are big and chunky, <laughs> and and they could be so much bigger and give me so much more information. And in the cloud, you have two very interesting things. You have like comparatively infinite compute power that you can share in your team or across the whole like World of users using it and just give the person like compute-wise superpowers <laughs> for like a very short time when they need it, and everyone else else can use it when they need it, and they just pay less than having it on the laptop. And builds can be much faster and everything. Um, and then the second is everybody's code in your team—not like worldwide—but everybody co- everybody's code in your team is also already there. So while coding, you just kind of much more information compared to when you're coding on the laptop. When coding in the cloud, you can know like this specific line that I'm coding on right now is currently called in production and it's causing like it caused the most incidents or it's causing performance leaks or someone else is like changing that line currently in a different branch. And you can see all that
0: things. Now, this is really interesting because, you know, I, I have clients who talk about. Streamlining code to cloud, like, but you you seem to be saying not just go from code to cloud, but actually code in cloud, um, which is like a, a maybe even closer to the source than than I'm used to hearing about. Where basically there's a lot of context there that you're not going to get if you're not within the the web based IDE. Basically, is that essentially what you're saying?
1: Exactly. Um, I mean, web based IDEs they also differ. So, for example, GitHub Codespaces or Gitpod Gitpod or like all these environments, they work not in the way that we want it to be because they're essentially some remote VM. They make it really fast and everything, but they're some remote VM and you start an IDE in that remote VM. Codesphere itself is not running in the hosted environments of our users. So when you run a production environment, Codesphere is not running in that environment, but Codesphere connects to it. And imagine running some some VS Code in your production environment. That would be like very stupid because VS Code takes a lot of RAM. It could crash your environment. You don't want to do that in production. But Codeze could look at it, and you could see what's happening. Codeze could connect to your staging environment, see what's happening, um, and you could make the use of the full like data center where with like VS Code. What we found, or like for example, GitHub Code Spaces, developers can use something that they already can download for free on a remote vm so they have a ping and it's also way more expensive since it's running on cloud resources but it's only running on one machine one machine all the time on cloud is always more expensive than running on your laptop because they have to have li- li- uh, sres and um, they have to have cooling and they have to have like like duplication replication um all that stuff but if you see it globally your laptop will always be way more expensive than like all cloud resources that are available so you can have all the stuff that you couldn't have on your laptop you can't even you can't even pack um like you can't even pack the resources that we can give you already now in here in your laptop because you don't want to run around with a big fat, fat server <laughs> all right <laughs> well yeah this is
0: all really fascinating stuff i i want to ask really quick about so there is some like monitoring component to this too which seems sort of Different than what we've been talking about so far. Like when you, once you start getting into monitoring, it starts to sound a little bit more like DevOps. Actually, um, is that a big piece of this play? The
1: app monitoring stuff you offer. Can you talk about what that is within CodeSphere? I mean, yeah, you need app monitoring for your production environments, so we give it. But it's not like the core component. But we give it, and we try to make it good. And we might when you when you log into CodeSphere, it would be great to show a mockup actually. Um, when you log into code you see the currently open development environments and you can select them or open new ones but also like on the very top you can see different production environments that are running your different microservices or whatever you run and you can see the uptime of them you can see alerts you can like see all the things that you need for production-based ability um well people need it like we have it for our own services our users need it for their own services they want to be reliable against their users so
0: yeah definitely necessary makes sense well this is really cool stuff i love you know it it feels like DigitalOcean to me actually um i bring that up because you know people who know the podcast now used to work there and john edgar who works with you now was there too and even just like the 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 pricing i love the pricing page it's like you got the community tier and then the upgrades are like two dollars eight dollars like it's very it seems bottoms up friendly um which i think is how most developer tools really need to be today. Um, and some of them still can't quite figure out how to how to do it and how to price. And it. it seems like you have no problem giving this to people and letting them get the value. And if they do and they scale, it's 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 a little bit of an upcharge, but it seems like, you know, you don't have to talk to sales, right? It's necessarily um, I don't know if there is like a more enterprise offering, but it seems like very
1: focused on PLG. Is is that the the ethos? Yeah, we, we needed feedback from the market before we, like we get a lot of feedback on what we're building. And that's especially necessary since what we're building is pretty hard to build. And so we need to get feedback, like even for a not yet that stable tool as you would use it for enterprise production grade software. Um, but soon, it's actually coming out pretty soon. Um, and now, we, now we're adding like the second tier, which is the more like teams professional, um companies, enterprises tier. And what we had out there is just like the community private developers startups, small startups tier. And we just add another one on top of it soon. And it will be price-wise, like it, obviously since we have more SREs on it and since like you have less over provisioning on it, you um like for more stability it will be a little bit more expensive, but it's still like in the same same range. Very
0: cool. Well uh I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here and it's going to streamline a lot of workflows for folks where something like Codesphere makes sense. Um, You know, from my mind, uh, I don't know how typical it is to like rip and replace processes, right? Like once a team has a process in place, it's, it's probably pretty hard to replace it. But I imagine for companies that are, you know, have new teams or you're even a net new startup, Codesphere seems like a great way to easily get off the ground. But for anybody, I mean, do you have any Thoughts on that? Do you see people actually ripping and replacing their, their workflows to, to implement Codesphere? Or is it more like um, companies that are, or teams that are getting off the ground if they just start from scratch, they don't need to implement any of the, uh, that, that more traditional process?
1: I think since almost for no team, it makes sense to build the workflow as perfection as we will build it for Codesphere. Like having your development environments shutting off, having like all that kind of collaboration features in place. Yes, it does make sense to switch since we perfect the development flow, and you you wouldn't do that as a team because you don't need to like necessarily do this for your one project. Um, companies like Google obviously do it because they have so many projects. But in like smaller company or like companies that have less big dev teams, you would never hire people to perfect the dev flow before you actually bring out the product because what you want is bringing out the product. Um, and from like a, a high level. The development process in Teams is still pretty much the same everywhere. So, you have local environments, you have development environments, you have a staging environment, and you have prod environments. You may or may not have a staging environment. And you have like CI pipelines, you have tests, um, you wanna see if they failed or not. And you have pull requests that come in that you wanna review. At Google, we call them change lists, something else, but (laughs) still the same thing. Um, So, all that process in essence is pretty much the same uh, everywhere when like the code that's running, like the pipelines themselves, like the code that's running in the pipeline is different, but you can configure it in course for the same way you had it before. Amazing stuff, man.
0: Well, uh, I, I have a feeling that a lot of my audience will be interested in this. So thank you for taking the time so they can check it out at codesphere.com and, uh, it's still public beta, but it is public. And so um, if someone's interested in trying it, I assume they can still just go and, and, and try, check it out. Um, maybe the last question I'll ask for my listeners who, you know, beta is obviously putting a sticker on something and saying like, we're still working on it. So what, what's preventing you from pulling that beta tag off? Is there anything that users
1: should be conscious of as they go in to explore the product? Yeah, so the current infrastructure that this runs on is six times overused, <laughs> um, mostly because we wanted to migrate for a system with Gardener, like one of our other architects is the creator of Gardener, as a Kubernetes cluster, multi-cluster, multi-data center federation tool, and we needed to be prepared for scaling across different data centers for like enterprise-ready stuff. Um, and that's why we didn't scale like the, the first iteration of the data center from what we had last year in August. So yes, it definitely makes sense to try. It makes sense for like hobbyist projects. We have a lot of startups doing it, but I'm saying don't bring your startup on course yet <laughs> because it's not meant for that yet. Um, our stability is still in the like less, less than 95% um, uptime. Got it. Maybe okay. because it's, it's overused, but right um we we do aim to bring it out on the new data center mid may, and from there, um yeah, go on it for production and like profit from <laughs> go on it and then profits,
0: yeah, yeah, well, now that I mean, we were talking about digitalocean uh, earlier it's the same thing, you know you you start with smaller hobby projects, people loved it, and as they built out more features and got more reliable, then you could start bringing on you know, serious production workloads onto the, onto the platform. So I I think this is super, super interesting. I hope everyone listening does too. So check them out, codeSphere.com, and uh, Elias, let's stay in touch and uh, look, look forward to seeing big news from, from you all in the future. Thanks Adam. Till next time.